Welcome to the Customer Experience Management Podcast, hosted by Anders Gustafsson and Carlos Velasco. In this episode, Carlos interviews Drs. Chi Huang, Claimants Naferl, and Luke Warlop about their work on humor in advertising. Welcome everyone to the Customer Experience Management Podcast. Uh, we are in season uh, four. And today I have three very special guests, uh, colleagues, uh, people that I have the chance to know uh, at uh, BI uh, in several different occasions and whose research uh, it's definitely very interesting and is making some great contributions uh, in the field of marketing and beyond. So let me introduce to you the guests. We have Dr. Chi Hong. Uh, she's an assistant professor in marketing at ESCP Business School. Uh, she has an expertise that lies in the field of consumer psychology, specific, specifically consumer technology interaction, meaningful consumer behavior, and consumer decision-making. She has been involved in a variety of projects uh, across different sectors, including retail, healthcare, and public policy. And her research interests also include signaling and brand management. Uh, before joining uh, her current work, she was a visiting scholar at Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan and a fellow at Nanjian Technological University, which unfortunately we didn't cross paths there uh, when I was visiting as well, Chi. Um, and she was uh, she 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 holds a PhD in marketing from BA Business uh, School and won the Chef Foundation Doctoral Dissertation Award uh, for her doctoral work on humor influences on consumers' impressions on firms which can already tell you something about the topic that we're going to be discussing today, humor. So our second guest is Clemens Knoferle. He's an associate professor at BI Norwegian Business School and one of the co-founders of the Center for Multisensory Marketing. He received his PhD from the University of St. Gallen and has uh, worked uh, as a postdoc at the University of, Sox of, of, of Oxford and has also been a visiting researcher in the University of Michigan. Uh, his research uh, spans through several aspects of consumer uh, psychology, in particular sensory marketing and the impact of new technologies on consumer behavior and well-being. Clemens' research has been published in several academic journals, such as the Journal of Experimental Psychology, Journal of Retailing, Scientific Reports, Psychonomic Bulletin and Review, and many others. And he has also served as a reviewer in several top journals across various fields uh, in marketing, including the Journal of Marketing Research, Proceedings of the Royal uh, Society, and the Journal of Experimental Psychology. Uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, and building on his expertise, he has also done a lot of consulting work in various companies across different industries. Um, and yeah, that's something that we may touch on today as well. And last but not least, we have uh, Professor Luke Borlop. He is a professor in marketing, dean of research, and dean uh, of the PhD at BA Norwegian Business School. He obtained his master's degree in psychology, in organizational psychology, and studies, uh, and an MBA at KU Leuven, and a PhD in marketing at the University of Florida. His studies uh, or his research you know, spans across multiple facets and aspects of consumer decision making and the social psychology of consumer behavior. Uh, his research has been published in the Journal of Consumer Research, Journal of Marketing Research, Journal of Consumer Psychology, the International Journal of Research in Marketing, and many, many other journals uh, of high impact uh, in the field of marketing and uh, consumer psychology, and psychology more broadly speaking, I would say. His work has been recognized uh, with a best paper award, two long-term impact awards, at the International Journal of Research in Marketing, and he won an IG Nobel Prize, or IG Nobel Prize, uh, which was something uh, quite interesting as well, maybe a topic for another podcast uh, later on. He's currently a member of the board of the European Institute Advanced Studies in Management and the former president of the European Marketing Academy. So as you can see, we have three very knowledgeable uh, experts and special guests today with a lot of different knowledge, and we will be talking about humor and advertising. But before we dive into it, uh, Chi, Clemens, Luke, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, maybe this is a good time. I don't know if you would like to add something on, on your bios or on your research interests. Uh, I mean, I... I try to capture everything, but I know that you'll have fantastic research projects going on. You did that well. Yeah. Okay, that's good. So in that case, uh, let's start with a very general question. 
as, as I was saying, we will talk a little bit about humor and advertising today. So uh, given that in the podcast, we focus uh, quite a bit on customer experiences, and I guess advertising and humor are uh, some important aspects to customer experiences. Uh, what is the role of humor in customer experiences in your opinion? Yeah, maybe I'll start with a short comment. I think that all of us uh, love humor, right? So it is kind of like the easy way for humans to get to connect with each other. And so like marketeers use the same tools, like basically using humors in order to emotionally creating a bond with their customers. So humor has been mostly used in you know, marketing communication, and it can also be used in product design in order to create this kind of like special bond between marketeers and products and consumers. So that's my two cents. Yeah. yeah. But it can also be used in service interactions, right? So one-on-one, -on -one, uh, one too many when, when a service provider talks to a customer or multiple customers. And often humor is also part of that. And of course, customers draw inferences from the funny things the seller says or does, and those could be positive or negative, and they're often positive uh, yeah. about their warmth, and some's even about their intelligence sometimes. Uh, but they could also be negative if the humor is not is out of place or exaggerated, or um, so. So it's it has to be carefully managed also in uh, interactions, or yeah. perhaps inappropriate. I would say as well. Maybe sometimes it might just it could be right. inappropriate. Yeah. Right. So it's really a, a management tool that that companies can use. Um, and you already pointed that she and Luke already pointed out several um, arenas where this can be used: service encounters um, and and of course advertising communication. But it also even goes beyond marketing. You could think of entrepreneurship and like um, the ways that um, entrepreneurs pitch their products, for instance, can be done in a humorous way. That is uh, very interesting. And, and you know, I think one, one of the interesting things of humor is that it's kind of like ever present. And I think we all have kind of like some sort of relationship with it. But I wonder, how did you end up studying humor? What was kind of like the backstory of studying humor? If I remember well, she came up with it. So she came uh, to me one day and said, like, I want to study, I want to study humor. I uh -huh. said, well, yeah, why not? You said, that sounds fun, right? Yeah, it sounds fun. <laughs> and she already had ideas about different kinds of humor and uh, that it not always works in the same way. And some humor might be negative. Some humor might be positive. And that sort of was, if I remember well, she, at the very beginning of your PhD time, that mm -hmm. was sort of the starting point. Um, uh, and of course, it, it culminated in the paper that is now uh, published. But but uh, so it, it from the very start, it was about how humor could influence what people think about companies basically yeah so i think that it is like yeah it definitely started from a conversation at midnight with luke but like before that i basically observed like you know like in a personal setting when i see like you know funny people i do feel like these funny people signal some of their competencies their intelligence so when i reflect it back to luke's uh in like you know practical settings, typically company has been using humor mostly for attention grabbing or to appeal likable to consumers. So I feel like, okay, there seems there seem to be some potential of humor as a tool that has not been used by marketeer yet, like which is to signal like competency of soul. And then we had more discussion among the three of us and then we shaped this kind of like, um, yeah, mm -hmm. like we think that there are some miss, some miss opportunity in their field. Yeah. I mean, uh, <clears throat> yeah, sorry. Um, I mean, uh, as Luke said, she was really the driving force here, but what, what I liked when I joined this project was that humor seems, and maybe that preempts some, some of our listeners, um, uh mental concerns that you might have at this point um it's a very humor is a very complex phenomenon and there's a lot of subjectivity that you might think shapes our responses to humor but what i really like there is that we try to systematize people's reactions and interpretations of humor and what humor means to them so that that sort of appealed to me that we can bring sort of order into the chaos to some extent 
that is very interesting and something that I'm getting from from some of your uh, answers is that uh, there might be different kinds of humors, right, in one way or another. And I think that's something that uh, the article that we're going to be discussing today uh, touches on. Um, so the, the article that we're discussing today is uh, uh, recently published by them in the International Journal of Research in Marketing. And by the way, this is a lead article uh, in the journal. Um, and it is called Using Different Advertising Humor Appeals to Generate Firm-Level Warmth and Competence Impressions. Um, we're going to be discussing about this article, but maybe it's a good moment to say uh, I will be posting uh, the reference to the article in the bio of the episode if you would like to access it, together with uh, the, the links to the websites of Chi, Clemens, and Luke, uh, in case you would like to see some of their other research projects and perhaps get in touch uh, should you have any questions. But let's dive into this very, very interesting article. Um, so what was the article about? What did you do? What were the findings? What things surprised you? What can you tell us, broadly speaking, about the article? Okay. Uh, yes, okay. So uh, as Luke and Clement already give you the hint, so we are looking at four different types of humors that companies can use in order to appeal to the consumers. And what we, what we found out is that different types of humors, even when the initial intention could be just like grabbing attentions or like, you know, communicating a message, but in the end, it creates some impression about the advertisers of the products or of the advertisers of the humor. So, and we found that some, some types of humors actually make consumers see the company as more competent. Some other types of humor actually make consumers see the company as warmer uh, advertisers. And we know that woman competence as a very important social cognition kind of like uh, impressions that drive attitudes, that drive relationship like bonding between companies and consumers. So we think that not only that cons uh, marketeers can use humor as a tool in order to grab attentions uh, and to convey a message, but it can be used as a strategic impression management tools in order to create desirable image for the company. And companies should know beyond this like communication tactics, uh, use of humor. What are the impression that humor can send um, to the, the audience? That is that is very very interesting. Uh, and and maybe one question here is, uh, you are mentioning the topic of competence and warmth, right? So what is the relevance of focusing on those uh, two specific, let's say, impressions? Well, as she said, those are, uh, according to social psychologists, the very basic dimensions on which we uh, evaluate each other, basically. So we, we form very quick and sometimes strong impressions based on our experiences with people on about their warmth, or warm are they, are they nice people, and are they competent people, are they smart people? Um, and and. Others that had already shown that that also applies to organizations or companies. We, we judge organizations and companies in, on the same dimensions. Um, and we also know that fun, being funny in the interpersonal interaction, uh, being funny, especially if it's smart funny, if it's if it's uh, and that's something we will get to, I guess, uh, sort of if it's if the if the, the joke is is uh, requires some thinking that uh, people who are funny are considered to be smart. Right, because they produce this kind of humor, and uh, I understand that kind of humor, and so we, we there's there sort of a bond between us. But they also we consider them smart, um, and it, we may also consider them warm if they're funny. Uh, but that can happen with many different kinds of other different kinds of humor that are not necessarily smart. Right, so slapstick may be warm in a way, or, or stupid stupid humor may be funny for a laugh, but and then the, the other person may be warm or perceived as warm, but not necessarily as smart. Uh, and of course, for companies and organizations, it's good to be seen as competent. And sometimes it's good to be seen as warm, but it's even more important to be seen as competent in because we want these companies to provide a service or, or a product to us that is that is serving our needs, right? That's basic marketing. Mm. Uh, and they should be competent in doing that. If they're warm, that's nice. That's good for the interaction. 
but their competence is more fundamental. So, so that's that was sort of a a, a point that that so uh, the kind of humor in advertising that can generate impressions of competence is the kind of humor that firms should cultivate uh, as in their if they if they use humor in advertising. Um, so that was sort of the idea, and then uh, indeed she showed with with a lot of data that that is indeed true. <laughs> yeah. That is super interesting. And from 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 what you're saying, uh, so we we I guess can touch on on something which is like the different kinds of humor, right? Uh, so there are different kinds of humor, and they might affect differently competence and warmth, like these kind of like attributes that you were mentioning, Luke. Um, so what what are these kind of different types of humor? Uh, maybe if you can give us some examples, and and how do they influence competence and warmth? I can start <clears throat> and we can puzzle it together. So we looked at four different types of humor um, and there's different, of course, different classifications of humor, but these are the four uh, types that we could identify from based on previous classifications and uh, looking at what's out there in actual ad ads and communications. So um, the first one of those, uh, and that's what Luke called smart humor or, or sort of the smart type of funny would be one where we um, the joke builds on incongruity. So something is expected, um, and then expe expectations is kind of is kind of violated or sort of not fulfilled, and you have to um, sort of like a puzzle solve it um, so that this makes sense. And the solution of that puzzle is what is perceived as funny, or leads to this impression of funniness. Um, we have some examples of that. Um, Chi, maybe you can pitch in a bit here. Um, could could you describe the one with um with the chicken and the egg that is yeah. maybe easiest to describe? I, I guess that is a very like a good example. So Clement was referring to this DHL advertisements. So DHL is a express delivery service. So they're trying to you know like provide the message that we are the fast the first one in the fields. So on the advertisement, so from the like. Uh, as consumer typically expected from an express delivery service, you may expect okay to see like a deliver man or or like a, some kind of delivery transportation to show that okay we are you know fast we are reliable. But on the uh, on the specific uh, art advertisement of DHL that we are discussing, the basically we see an, a chicken and an egg, and both are labels with number one. So when we see chicken and eggs, the other expectation would be one should be first, one should be the second. So this is referring to the basic video, which is first chicken or eggs. So we are expecting to see number one and two. But on the on, on the advertisement of DHL, we see one on both. Mm -hmm. Then it is really like a real. How can I understand it? It is so unexpected. This is not what I expect. Then we see a very small tagline at the bottoms of the advertisement, uh, writing like DHL on wafers. And basically, you will be able to, you know, like, you know, discover the meaning, the human intent behind the ad. And it is a process of discovery. And the discovery brings, you know, legend and pleasures. And, you know, it makes people laugh. But at the same time, it makes people think that. Oh, I understand this like videos, I understand this unexpected intention. So maybe we share the same mind, like you know, great mind take a line. So we also think that okay, you guys are pretty smart. So that is an example. Yeah. So Clement can elaborate on that. Hmm. The second type is one that is perhaps a little bit less smart. <clears throat> so that's um what I also had another good example. Yeah, um, please, yeah. please one that we didn't use actually, but I saw I was in Denmark last week and, and of course the the famous Carlsberg ad uh, that they campaign that they've been running for many years is like probably the best beer in the world. And I, I also think that so at the same time, they say they're the best and they're not the best. Right. So so there is a and by using the word probably they can sort of avoid all kinds of uh, uh, claims that they would be that, that from others that they are that they are not the best. Um, so it's a very smart way to say to say you're the best. Uh, and to be uh, to be very careful about this at all. And I, I, I at least I think it's funny. 
Uh, and uh, it's also a campaign that's been running for now, like, I don't know, 20 years or so. And it's almost become a tagline for the brand. So, and that's just because last week I saw it. I, uh, that, I, uh, that I was reminded of it. Okay, Clement, sorry. I think that, by the way, they also, they had a, a play on this recently where they say probably not the best beer in the world or something like yeah. that. Um, which I, would I, like comment, I would like to comment if you want to buy like smart humors, like you go for beer ads. They have the best like smart humors kind of ads. Maybe maybe before we move to the, the other uh, types of humor, one question that comes uh, to mind when, when describing this one is, the, could there be a risk that maybe people don't solve the incongruity, incongruity and would that maybe potentially ruin the, the, the whole humor and competence element? Obviously, that's the risk. Yeah. That's the risk. Right. And so you have to be very knowledgeable about your target audience. Mm. Uh, and it doesn't matter for if you have a very specific target audience, which is able to understand it. And you know that that's actually good if, if some others don't understand it, that are not your target audience, because you create a sort of us Huh. Uh, impression with it, right? So that is um, uh, that is that is that is a good thing. Um, mm. And uh, so, so you also see that in other aspects of branding and advertising, that that um, companies sometimes to try to reach a specific niche audience and communicate specifically to that niche audience uh, with something that other people don't, uh, brands that other people don't know, or messages that other people don't understand. So that mm. also works for humor. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> Makes absolute sense. So, uh, Clemens, you're going to the next humor type. Yeah, seems like I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the the second um, part is uh, something we call tension relief, or actually others before us have called tension relief. Um, so this is based on the idea that there's some tension that the, the ad or the, the joke creates in us, um, and there's a potential of... of risk um, or of, of other sort of emotional arousal um, and on second glance you realize that this is not really dangerous to you that's not a real risk and there are some ads that play with this that show some sort of dangerous situation and then some some tagline that that sort of um, sort of dissipates that risk um, and that is a much less cognitive based humor you could say that's a bit um, i have two two small kids and this is the type of humor when um they come around the corner and you're behind the corner and you do like boo. And the first day they sort of get scared. Um, and then they realize it's oh it's it's dead and they they laugh. Nice. So nervous <laughs> energy dissipates basically. I don't know, Luke or Chief, you have any anything to add here, any concrete examples to add here? Um but a lot of what we call slapstick yeah. uh, is part of mm. that, right? So the the fun the 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 funny thing when somebody falls, uh, glides over ice or a banana peel. And of course, if they really hurt themselves, it's not funny. But if they don't really hurt themselves, it's funny, right? Because mm -hmm. then the, the tension is is uh, relieved. Yeah. Uh, think of, so think of maybe people, very yeah. placatively, maybe um, jackass would be the, the, the pinnacle of that sort of humor. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like cartoon off that type of... <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, 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 Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry. Yeah. yeah. And I think that from our database, uh, this uh, like tension relief uh, type of humor has been used majorly in advertisements because uh, you know advertising they typically exaggerate things and then they give consumers some safety reality cue that okay it's not that dramatic so it's not that serious. So we have seen in our database that arousal uh, like tension relief is the most like used kind of like tactics so far. Hmm. Right. I, I have a question about this type of humor and perhaps perhaps other types of humor. And this is this comes from perhaps my na naivety in, in the topic. But uh, when when I hear the word tension and then release, you know, the, the tension could have different intensities. Right. And, and I guess there is something about the intensity of, let's say, the humor in a given piece. Is that something that makes any difference or, or do you know something about that? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that makes a difference. I, I I from from I think that we do study the the uh the we, in our papers we do not study like yes or no absent or presence of this sense of humor but we do measure the the level the degrees of arousal sensations uh, of tension relief and so far we see a positive correlation between these tense uh, this sense of humors 
and like you know impression of warm because basically when you go through the emotionals like relief it creates some kind of like warm bonding with these uh, source of the relief and that typically positive but like you mentioned, it could be possible that if the tension is too intense, that may create some kind of like um, negative impacts. But we we do not observe it in our in our database. Maybe because mostly advertiser they don't go to the extreme to the extremes, right? That's, mm. yeah. yeah. But I guess that also probably depends on what Luke was saying, like the, the target audience, you know, maybe there is the kind of like some elasticity in how intense you can go depending on how, what you know about the target audience. Hmm. Obviously. Yeah. But what she said is very important. So we don't, you can look at these as types of humor, but there are very few clean cases of any particular type. So what we hmm. did was measuring dimensions. We measured them as dimensions. So any particular ad can be a combination of, strategies they can be and tension relief and incongruency uh, to some extent tension relief to some extent incongruency and what what uh, she measured was like for that particular ad is like to what extent are both present and she mm -hmm. did that across like hundreds of ads and so you have presence of tension relief and presence of incongruity to larger or smaller mm -hmm. extent in each particular ad and also the two other types that you will still uh, discuss yeah um and so the, the profile of any particular ad can be a combination of all four. Yeah. Just to complement that, um, since we do touch upon methodology and methodology a little bit here. Um, so we did that with uh, hundreds of ads indeed. So we have a very good sample um, where we can basically abstract away all the industry specific parts and so on and ad specific parts uh, influences that we have. Um, and we also did it with thousands of people. So we have people from... Um, all walks of life that judge these ads on these different dimensions um, and we take the summative ratings of, the, of those people. Yeah. Okay. But I think if yeah. we talk about intensity, maybe that is a good transition to the next two types of humor. Right? Yeah. Mm. Well, That's me again. Let's proceed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the last types of humor um, can, last two types can be summarized in a way. Um, so that's um, um, depreciating humor that uh, makes fun of either other people or fun of yourself. Um, so you can humor use humor as a sort of more aggressive tool, right? So we, we all have all experienced that and maybe used humor in that way. Um, companies do that too. Um, for instance, if you think of famous campaigns like uh, Apple versus Microsoft, where Apple was making fun of uh, IBM or Microsoft, I don't remember now. But yeah. making fun of, um, yeah, fun of their competitors. Uh, sometimes we see ads that make fun of um, or firms that make fun of their own customers. That's quite rare, but it happens. And that on the other side, yeah, yeah. And on the other side, we also have firms that make fun of fun of themselves that are self depreciating. So they sort of make themselves seem more harmless, um, or like the underdog um, that then hopes to get some some um, favors from consumers for that. So when when would, would a company like or want to kind of like make fun of themselves? I don't know. It comes to mind that sometimes they say that I'm not sure. And again, this comes from my naivety in the topic, but sometimes uh, there are these sayings in Spanish where you, you know, when you make fun of yourself is because you are confident of your own attributes. So I don't know if there's something like that uh, here. Um, yeah, I think there is. I, th I think the, the only companies I think that do that somewhat effectively, although what we show is that it's not very effective, are the leaders in the market who are very strong and have nothing to fear. Hmm. Um, and they often also have a need to show a little bit more, I mean, humility because they might be perceived as too big, too strong, too uh, aggressive, too powerful uh, by some customers who would rather prefer to go with a smaller, more personal uh, brand. And so the, the big guys in the market sometimes try to make themselves look more humble by doing this. Mm -hmm. Although I think what we show is that it doesn't necessarily work. Um, but I think that's the motivation behind it. Yeah, so I can give you a concrete example, like you know, like like the 
the example that I actually really love is when I when I when I saw that that advertisement, I was really like uh, like falling in love with the brand. So it's about uh, it's a it's an ad by the uh, uh, car rental company. It's called Avis. So a long time ago, they has always been the number two, right? And there's a big like German uh, number one company, Hangs, right? So if I pronounce the name correctly. But there was always number one and Avis is always number two. And it's like the gap between the number one and the, the number two was too big. Uh, so how can the number two trying to appeal to the consumers and get more? So they had this advertisement campaign, so multiple ads in the campaign saying that, okay, so we are the number two, so why go to us? So one of the uh, can, one of the ad versions said that, okay, because our the line in our side is shorter than the other one. So that's why you should come to us because the line is shorter, you get faster service. So it's a little bit of self-deprecating. But in a very cute way, is that making people feel like I want to support this underdogs. So like, but also like, but this is an example. Uh, and it's different from what Luke mentioned. Like, big company may benefit more from appealing more down to us, more relatable to the consumers. But indeed, Luke was right. We didn't find like the strong effects uh, of like this impression management tactics uh, on perception of company worms. Basically, we was also surprised ourselves because when we look in the, you know, in social setting, when someone so big, like for example, the dean of their like department, dean of the uh, research uh, sign, okay, if he's so down to earth, um, that would really signal something really nice about the person. But we do not observe parallels kind of like effects in the organizational setting. And this could be because, you know, Consumers typically see maybe business as, you know, an entity exists for profit uh, and they have to deliver like, you know, certain kind of competency and also like underlying, undermining your own competency seem to be something really uh, serious in terms of the violation of their purpose and integrity. And it may sound a little bit like a manipulative tactics rather than true warm disposition. Uh, kind of like perception. So I think that's why we do not observe the same kind of relationship between being humble and mm. good, warm perception as in the social setting, in the commercial setting. Yeah, I, I think the, the comparison, so in social interactions, being self-depreciating is part of a conversation. It's part of a interaction, a relationship that you have with other people and they they compare that to other things they know about you, right? But it's, it's in a conversation. Well, I think advertising is more like somebody, it's the, the interpersonal equivalent of advertising is standing on a stage and, and, and shouting something in a microphone, right? Mm -hmm. For, so that is, that is and, but that is different. If you do the same self-depreciation while on stage shouting in a microphone, it gives a completely different impression. impression. When you do that among a group of friends sitting around a table, right? So I think that's that's the reason why it doesn't work very well in advertising because it's too much in your face. It's it as she says, mm. it becomes very easily perceived as uh, fake mm. um, because of that. Yeah. The, the purpose of advertising, and I guess consumers know that, is to promote the advertiser. And then if you promote yourself by not promoting yourself, this is what this type of, of humor is doing. This seems really non-serious or yeah <clears throat> maybe one question that comes from this that we're saying and I, and I love the example uh, that you gave Luke in terms of you know you're sitting with your friends or you are shouting in the microphone um, is there anything that is that might be context specific and I guess Clemens you were mentioning the methodological part for example that you cover a bunch of different companies different categories different kind of like industries let's say so in a way you have like all these findings you know extended across uh, in one way that is representative but uh, I'm not sure if from your research or other research are there any contextual effects to when one type of humor might be different than other I guess we didn't study that really uh, okay. we didn't find any difference between industries Mm. Um, um so so that so that would be that would be a a, a bit hard i think right um although i think there is i mean intuitively one might say that you have different kinds of products right so and um and even services could be different in, in the sense that how much can you learn about 
the quality by consuming and how much should you learn from other sources, right? So I think the more you need to learn about um, other sources, the more impact from, from other sources, because the quality that doesn't really appear in consumption that well, uh, and definitely not before that you buy something, um, then, um, then whatever is you learn from communication is going to be more important because that's the only source that you have, mm. right? So, and especially there, so the context where these things, the context factor where these effects I think are stronger is where advertising becomes one of the very uh, only sources that you have to learn something about the product or the service. And the more you know from other sources, the less impact it's going to have. Maybe that's an obvious boundary, but but it's... Uh, no, but it uh, makes absolute sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because yeah, like the, 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 the amount and quality, I guess, of sources that you have available it, uh, might make a boundary condition here. Mm. <clears throat> there might also be, for instance, matter of question of congruency with what you're selling um, this becomes very specific now but if you're selling or, or uh, marketing something that is very cognitive um, highbrow in a way i guess some types of humor would be naturally better fitting like for mm -hmm. instance incongru incongruency resolution while if you sell something that is mostly fun and maybe um, more lighthearted experience or lighthearted product other humor types might be more suitable Right. So I'm going to do a little exercise now, Anis. I'm going to wear the practitioner hat. And I guess one of the, the, the questions that might come from, from, a, from a practitioner would be, okay, so we have this, this idea that I think it's a, a very nice how you did in the, in the paper that is, you know, different humor types have these overlapping or different uh, communication pieces have different humor types overlapping to a more or less degree, right? So if I was designing an ad, you know, how would go about to try to increase uh, competence and warmth by using kind of like these overlapping dimensions? Is like what would be like a, a good way to proceed when it comes to designing an ad that is funny to increase competence and warmth? Uh, I mean, I guess I'm just thinking that maybe when when somebody thinks of a joke, uh, it just comes naturally. But it, this is actually very good guidelines, right? To kind of like think of the different types and try to kind of like create the right combination for a given outcome. I, I think that it is a difficult question um, to us and as well where we were discussing among each other. So like how can like ad agency, for example, use these output that we, the research that we deliver in order to design better ads. So I would say that, you know, part of the creation process, we don't really put like too many uh, constraints from the beginnings. But maybe after uh, like basically firms have a message that they want to communicate in their ads, ad agency can come up with the version of the ad. And then we can test different versions on the four dimension that we just mentioned in order to have a bigger picture. So in addition to communicating this message, if you first cast this advertisement, consumers may have like a little bit more, you know, competent impression of yourself versus the other uh, version of the ad that we can deliver, this one will focus more on the warm impression and not much on along the line of competence. So it can be used as a tool to validate the effects of different version of ads. So this is what I can think of. Hmm. If I'm designing, I'm not so sure. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> creatives could benefit also from uh, reading. Uh, the, the the descriptions of these humor types that we provide in the paper. Um, so when you read the characteristics of a incongruity-based joke, I think it gives you an idea of what sort of what what sort of joke you you have to construct there. Um, you have to think about um, maybe plays on words, um, maybe ambiguous visuals that can be like visual metaphors that can be interpreted in different ways, uh, where one makes obvious sense and then the one that you actually have to think of when you want to decipher the ad uh, is the one that that comes secondary. Um, so you can start from 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 this bottom up approach as well, uh, in addition to this validation approach that she just mentioned. I actually think that, that both both answers are are su super nice because you know where you can think about the design processes. You know maybe those that are designing the ad could 
I mean, I would tell, I would tell them, read your article. <laughs> you know, they, they can get the, the inspiration, then come up with certain designs that then later can test to see the extent to which they are conveying, you know, these different attributes that are designed to evoke a specific perception or impression. There's one more thing that is that, um, of course, the danger with incongruity-based ads that lead to competence impressions and therefore are related to quality, innovation, creativity. So you really want to be seen as competent. So, but the danger is that people wouldn't understand it. So, so if you have a very difficult incongruency that only 1% of the people understands and finds funny, then that's only useful if that 1% is your target audience and nobody else. That may happen, but in most cases, you're interested in appealing to a broader audience, but there is also incongruency that is understandable or can be resolved by many people. And that many people would find funny. And I think once you once you have that, I think it would be very stupid not to put it in your advertising. Because uh, and I think most if you look at advertising agencies, what they do, they come up with they try to be creative. They try to come up with interesting uh, ideas for ads, which are often involve humor. They always try to most of the time they try to Im involve some incongruity in there, something that that is uh, so something that needs to be resolved or that is uh, sort of the. You have to you have to understand it in order to think it's funny, because that's also and I intuitively I think what they do is saying we need you need to have that if you want to create a somewhat competent image, and and that is for most products that is important to have. So I think and of course you can build in some slapstick also or some uh, tension relief in other ways also in that same ad that's fine but there has to be I think advertising agencies intuitively know. You, you better, unless there's really good reasons not to do it, you better have some incongruity in the ad in order to convey at least some aspect of competence, which is a very necessary part of the message that any company would want to give to its customers. You give your money to us, we give you something good in return, right? So that's very basic. And um, so if you only do slapstick, if you only do self-depreciation, then you're never going to convey that message. So if I if I would be a market brand manager or an advertising agency person, I would say, okay, let's 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 decide about the level of incongruity we need. We need to calibrate that to the audience and let's build something around it that makes it warmer or whatever if that's necessary. But let's start with that basis. Right. So use that as a starting point and then build on top. Yeah. I would do that. And I think if you look at what advertising agencies do, um, and if they're good, that's what they do, I think. Right. In a way, there always needs to be some sort of resolution that connects with the offer and how the offer is good relative to the rest. Right. So that, yeah, that, that, that's, uh, that makes absolute sense. Okay. This has been very, very interesting uh, conversation. And I think I could stay here just asking more and more questions because uh, I feel that this, this field of study is super interesting and, and there are so many also interesting applications that can be derived from it. Um, but I don't want to keep you here forever, so I'm going to ask just a couple more questions, if that's all right. Uh, the first question that I want to ask you, I guess it's it's thinking on this topic through the other side, and is, is there any context in which people might not want to use humor, would you say, in advertising uh, that you can think of? And, and what I'm thinking when I was thinking about this is, uh, here we have two very essential uh, elements of, of, you know, impressions, competence, and warmth. Is there maybe uh, an unexpected effect that humor might sometimes create in a different dimension, potentially? Or uh, do you have any thoughts about this? I was thinking funeral services, but but then I um, <laughs> but even there I've seen ads that are uh, funny. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. On that, I, I remember Clement actually took a you know pictures of like a funny funeral service ads and sent it to me when we was working on this project. So. Um, I think that, yes, it's true that now um, maybe some serious business, we may not want to overly using this humor sense. Like, some research in other fields did show that, for for example, in an advertisement for a job, if you use some sense of humor, it may make a job candidate think that because they are not so serious and therefore they do not want to apply for the job. But at the same time, I would be more like, okay, because we have, we, we have different types of humor. And some some humorous stimuli that we think that like most people don't really see it as humor, but actually it's part of the humor process. So I was thinking like it's not about 
whether we use humor or not, but like how we use it, like it had to be appropriate to the purpose. So there are different types of humor. There are more serious type of humor, smart type of humor, the aha kind of humor that trigger more intellectuals, uh, emotionals, um, you know, like feelings and, you know, like the to the face, bland kind of humor. So I, I would be more leaning towards, okay, let's just think about how we use it. <clears throat> Yeah, maybe another, um, uh, just to add one more funny example of um, showing the limitlessness of humor. Um, th there's a, a nice case from Australia of um, the Australian uh, railway authority, and they were concerned about um, people having horrible accidents close to railway stations because they would <clears throat> too often step onto the, 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 the tracks and so on. Um, <clears throat> and, and all this fear advertising that, is usually used in these public service announcements that tries to change people's behavior in a good way in these settings it doesn't work very well often people blend it out in some way and um, so they had a really nice humorous campaign uh, using cartoon characters and a catchy song um, and show how these cartoon characters if they're not smart around tracks and <laughs> train stations how they die in horrible ways um, they oh, wow. made a, like a, a video game a mobile phone game out of that so to me, that shows that you can even take the most, or almost the most serious topic, if you do it in the right way, um, using some sort of humor. That makes sense, and and I like how you how you say the the limitless possibilities of humor because uh, it is indeed from the conversation that we're having and from what I had the chance to read in the article, it seems that there's multiple different ways in which humor can be used to kind of like have a positive impact uh, on, on consumers in relationship to a, a given brand or company. Um, so my, my last question, uh, I'm going to be a little bit sneaky and I'm just going to put uh, two parts in the last question so that I can uh, extract a little bit more. <laughs> and the, the question is, I think we have we have been talking quite a bit about you know some of the 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 applications that derive from these, but we try to always finish the podcast with Anders by asking our guests um, if you could give an advice you know to to agencies or practitioners, what would you tell them based on this research? Um, and again, I said we have already talked a little bit about some of those advices that I guess that derive from the research. But if you have any other thing in mind, what would that be? And the second question in this two-part question is, uh, looking into the future, what do you see in this research area happening? Uh, what are some future directions that might be interesting? Well, one type of advice that I already explained, I think, is that uh, in, in the relationship with the advertising agency, brand manager and advertising agency is like, don't forget that incongruency needs to be, I think, is ideally mostly somewhat part of any sort of advertising campaign because you never want to give up on the impression of being competent. Um, so that's, that's uh, and then uh, apart from that, the actual calibration of that is important and needs to be tested. That was another, another very important uh, thing that uh, she and Clemens mentioned. Um, and tested with the target, as you, as you, you mentioned earlier. As yeah, well. yeah. You you don't you don't just throw something out to the audience without testing it on a smaller group first. Um, other things than that, but th those were already said. Um, I'm thinking, but maybe uh, my colleagues have something. For me, I just I think that I just start with the very you know simple positioning from the very beginning. Ad agency are very good at creating humorous ads. But so far, they have been using humor just to grab attention. So now they can better solve their capability. So we are good at creating humors, and humor is an impression management tool. So we can help you with many things rather than just grabbing attention. So I think that that is something that I really want to reinforce because we do have interview with ad agency people, and we have an uh, interview with uh, company as well, they all come through humor actors and in attention wrapping tools. And we need to really see the tool more than ventures and attention wrapping topics. So in a way, yeah, it's 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 good that it helps with attention grabbing, but try to get more out of it because okay. there are many more things that you can actually do with it. Yeah, and it also goes beyond advertising, right? So, so I think was it Clemens or Chivo mentioned that uh, the way CEOs or, or um, figureheads of companies uh, introduce innovations 
on stage very often nowadays. I mean, those kinds of things can be more or less humorous, and if that has a very large audience, as it sometimes has, mm. um, that's important in what kind of impression that makes. Mm. Um, there is the the, the the surface interaction where where there is an actual social interaction between two people. Um, that's not very well studied uh, at mm. all in a commercial context. Um, and that would be very interesting to do as well, because of course yeah. there is lots of service interactions. And we are, I mean, what, what would be really, really interesting to do is to um, look at the downstream consequences of different degrees of humor, different types of humor in these settings. Um, for instance, let's say downstream consequences of humor on even the stock market performance of companies. Uh, once the CEO has um, mm given presentations using different versions of humor or types of humor if we if we had lots of different companies that we can uh, test um in our data set then that would be really interesting to do and by the way this is a small a small um, advertising for ourselves here um if any any um decision maker feels the the calling to do research on these things we're always happy to to help and to try to work on research projects together so that would be very interesting for both sides i think most definitely and, and 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 as a reminder for our listeners uh, as, as as i said earlier we're gonna have all the contact details of uh, chi clemens and luke in the description of the episode so please go and check their profiles as i said this is just one of the areas of research that they're diving into they have many many other very interesting projects going on and i'm sure that you will enjoy them as much as this one uh, and maybe come as a final note on your last comment you just made me think of elon musk when you go to his twitter account and you see all the hum humorous sometimes humorous like you know borderlining with offensive for some people for some some targets uh, and you see the stock market just going crazy for tesla or for Dogecoin in the crypto in the cryptocurrency context as well. So that sounds very interesting. You know, it's like because one of these representatives, as Luke was saying, in these technology events or something like that, maybe makes yeah. some sort of like humorous appeal. It might actually affect quite dramatically the market. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um Chi, Clemens, Luke, this was a very, very interesting and nice episode. Thank you so much. I'm sure uh, the listeners uh, are going to enjoy it uh, very much. So thank you for being here. And yeah, uh, hopefully in the future, we will be doing more podcasts based on your upcoming research. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Bye.